You guys can grab a seat. Um, well, I was gone for the last couple of weeks. My wife and I spent some time working with an orphanage in Haiti, which was awesome. So thank you for those that prayed for us. And while I was gone, it was kind of nice to have uh, Danny Schaefer and Danny Pellegrini and John Sicka all share from the scripture today to you guys. It's, it's really, really a joy to have people that are so submitted and brilliant with the scripture. And it's, it's fun to serve with people like that. So thank you for giving yourself to the word and the time and, and continuing to, to push forward for God's glory and his kingdom purposes while we were gone. We are in the last few verses of Hebrews 13 today. We're actually finishing the book of Hebrews 13. And when you look at the end of anything, if you've ever been in a situation with kids where you're telling your kids like, okay, here's the, the three things I need you to remember. Like when we left for Haiti, we were talking with our kids, like here are the things that I really want to see and hear about as, as our friends watch our kids while we're gone. And you kind of do this long list of all these things, but then you always do at the end of that, like the kind of the, the quick synopsis of what you, what's most important to you, right? You kind of stop and you go, okay, now, now remember these three things. This is very vital that these three things, I mean, I know I've told you 12 and your mind's probably overwhelmed, but there's these three things that are really, really important. And if you've ever spent any time preparing a message or teaching or, or, or sharing something with someone, you know the feeling of, of, of kind of pouring yourself out, sharing what, what you believe that God has is, is asked you to share and, and talking about that. But even at the end of it, you always kind of have the same hope that I believe that most people do, which is, is man, I hope, I hope the Lord uses this. I hope this wasn't just something we listened to and we're excited about for a moment and then ultimately just kind of forget about next week. And we see the, the end of this, this book ends exactly like that. And like most of the New Testament books, where there's this, this benediction where the author kind of says, okay, in his final words, here's a, here's a quick recap of everything that I've said, which in this book is, is kind of comical because it's such a dense and tough and long and, and wonderful book with so many amazing truths in it that how do you even, how do you even create a, a, a three-word or a sentence synopsis for it? Like just kind of a finishing, finishing touch on it. And the author comes out and says what he's doing. And what I wanted to do today is there's not a lot of things that we have to necessarily study in these last five verses, although we'll talk about a few of those things. But what I wanted to do today is I wanted to remind us of, of just where we've been in this book real quickly. You know, if you ever, if you get out of school or you get out of high school, you get like the, you get kind of the, the picture, the, the, what's it called, the yearbook. Or, you know, you, you look at your face, Facebook will always show you like pictures from eight years ago. And it kind of, it takes you back to that moment of when you were there. And you're like, oh man. And, and you, your, mind's, your mind is triggered to remember all of the things that are around these old pictures or these old memories. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to just kind of flash out a few pictures of truth that we heard about Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews over the last 10 months, almost actually a little over a year now. And we've, we've been in this book, and he's, he's hit some profound truths about Jesus Christ. This book is, 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 is loaded with who Jesus is and why he's important and why we do those things. And, and so I want to just talk about a few of them. He's, he, we've seen so much about Jesus in the book. We've seen him as the final word of God in the last days, chapter 1, verse 2. As the creators of heavens and earth, whom the angels worship, chapter 2. We've seen him as the pioneer of our salvation, who was made perfect through suffering. Chapter 2, verse 10. As one who became flesh that, we might die in our that he might die in our place and free us from the fear of death. Chapter 2. Let, let your mind go back to these thoughts. You know, when we, we were teaching about these things, when we, when we had the conversation about this scripture, recognizing that we don't have to fear anything but God should trigger something in us. God's word isn't something we just read and go, oh, neat, and move on. God's word is living and active. 
And so when we, when, we, when we dug into these things, he did something. The Spirit did something in you to make you move and, and live in, in light of who God is and for his glory. We learn that he is superior to Moses, chapter 3, verse 5. That he's a sympathetic high priest who opens the way to the throne of grace, 4, 14 through 16. That he's one who saves for all time those who draw near to God through him, chapter 7, verse 25. That he's the mediator of a new blood-bought covenant to secure that our sins will be forgiven and that the law will be written on our hearts and that God will be our God, chapter 8, verse 10. That he's one who, by his blood, purifies our consciences. You remember that? Remember what it meant to have a clear conscience? We had, this, is, this is back in chapter 8, or chapter, yeah, chapter 8, and we had this clear conscience conversation. What does it really mean for us to live with a clear conscience? He removes us from dead works to serve a living God, chapter 9. Verse 14, that he's one who put an end to all sacrifices by putting away sin once for all through the sacrifice of himself. Chapter 9, 26, that he's the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God until all his enemies are made a footstool to his feet. Chapter 12, verse 1, that he's the one who suffered outside the gate, that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. 13, 12. He talked about last week. He's given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Chapter 12, 27. He's one who will never leave us nor forsake us. Chapter 13, verse 5 through 6. These are just some of the truths that we've, we've been given through this book of Hebrews. And in this book, we, we challenged you, even through this year, we said well, there's, a, there's a few things that we're going to challenge us as a church to do. One is the first and, and, and kind of the primary topic of this year has been we are asking you to risk faith. And we hit the chapter 11 by faith series, and we, we studied what faith looked like. And so this is, this is the year where we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna ask the Lord to really lead us out in a faith that is so risky that we know we can't do it without him. We challenged you with all kinds of truths to, to remove the sins and the weights that so easily entangle us. If you're going to run this race, lay down, turn from the things that aren't there. Said, so let's, let's, let's rid ourselves of bitterness. Let's submit ourselves to authority. This book is just rich with truths that if we just move past it as, okay, we check off another book, I, I fear we miss what the author was trying to do. And so with that being said, let's, let's read in, in Hebrews chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. It's the last five verses of chapter 13, starting in verse 20. If you don't have a Bible, you can slip your hands up, and the ushers will grab one for you as well. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. And so at first, the ending here, he, he, you can tell that this author, like we said at the very beginning of this book, there's a very, he's invested personally with these people. 
He's not just speaking to them as far as saying, hey, this is the stuff you guys need to remember, and it's important that you do those things. But, but again, in, in the, the time period of what's going on here is, is a lot of the Jews that had submitted themselves to Jesus Christ were starting to feel and, and experience some persecution. Even Timothy here has been released from prison. Now, some would say that this is Timothy, like Paul and Timothy. Some would say it's not. Honestly, it's not perfectly clear on either way. You can make a good case for either sake. But either way, this is a Timothy that all of these people that this, that this letter was written to knew and were aware of. And so they're experiencing some, some persecution where they're starting to, to revert back or, or kind of step back towards a, a more Judaistic view where they go back to the sacrificial system and they're kind of saying, well, the temple's still in place. This is two years prior to the temple being completely destroyed. And this, so they start, start operating as Christians but, but are kind of walking away from the truth. And they're, they're starting to say, well, you know what? It's easier to just appease our brothers and sisters that are Jewish to not have to deal with the persecution and just kind of go back to the sacrificial system and go back to the high priest that's in place and go back to all those things. Even though this author spent four chapters establishing how that sacrificial system is limited compared to the sacrifice that Jesus did. Four chapters defining that the high priest that they're experiencing right now, Jesus is the final high priest after the order of Melchizedek, meaning he doesn't just have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. He will stay forever. And so they're starting to feel this persecution. And so he, he lets us know again at the end, like, hey, I, I want to be with you. These truths I've shared with you aren't truths that I'm just like, hey, you guys over there, figure it out. I hope you get it figured out and take care. Good luck. See you later. It's like, I want this for you and I can't wait to be with you. And so everything that this person said, if you can just put yourself in this context for one second, should mean more to us when you realize there's a personal investment there. This isn't just some stranger speaking to strangers in the distance. This is a brother, a sister. He has faces as he's writing those things. I believe he probably had tears at moments when he thought of brothers or sisters that had departed from the way of Christ. He's pleading with them. He's begging them. But in this last exhortation, this last greeting, this word I urge isn't actually begging. It's a firm, confident, strong exhortation. I urge you. I plead with you. Not a, not a hopeful beg, like, please, please. It's a, it's a firm, firm word. Like, I urge you to follow these things. Don't lose sight of these things. And what's the, the, the one paragraph? Again, if you were going to say one last thing, if you had one last moment in a letter to someone, you always kind of end it with something personal like you did here, but you always have that kind of, right before that personal note, like, this is what I really want you to grasp. He does what he's been doing for the entirety of book of Hebrews, he goes back to who Jesus Christ is. And he promises a number of things here. He says, one is that the God of peace, which is to, to us is like, oh yeah, he's a God of peace. That makes sense. No, for, for them and for us, it should mean that you recognize that God is someone that is at peace with us through Jesus Christ. It's not just he's a peaceful God. It's that now you can experience peace with a God that you so often felt lack of peace because you saw how short you fell compared to what was expected of you. And although the sacrificial system was in place and it gave us opportunities to, to experience moments of, clean, um, of cleansing and, and we see those sins, we'd walk right out of sacrificing that perfect thing and we'd stub our toe and we'd say something we shouldn't say and, and there we'd have to go back and, and offer another pigeon. It was just this continual cycle of over and over and over again where the sacrificial system pointed out over and over again, we fall short. We'll never measure up. And he ends here, he says, may the God of peace, not only is he a peaceful God, 
but he has brought peace to you. Right? Because he's, he's cleared our conscience. Because he's, he's the author. He's the founder of our salvation. Why is he the God of peace? Because he's taken those that were not at peace with him and he's brought us into peace through Jesus Christ. And so his last plea is, hey, may, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. So he, he doesn't just say like, yes, he's a peaceful God and yes, he's doing those things. But he says why it's important that he's a God of peace. He brings life to Jesus Christ after dying. Again, life that was there, that was gone, and then he brings him back life. Why? As a one-time sacrifice. At the end of the day, I think he is, he is pushing hard on what was really running rampant with the Jewish believers in this day and age, which is that they were still trying to figure out where Jesus fit with the temple and the sacrificial system in place. They couldn't reconcile it. And I think maybe a more modern context for us is, is where does grace really sit with our sinfulness? This is maybe the way we wrestle with it. We aren't running to a sacrificial system. But we do, we do experience sinfulness in our own life. We do wrestle with these things. And instead of running to the God of peace, we start trying to find ways to make amends. We make deals with God. We barter with him. We never say that out loud, but we say, well, I will never do this again, God, if you do this, this, and this. Or we just say, well, if I can just do enough good things, if I can give enough, if I can serve enough, if I can, if I can just say enough nice things, then maybe I'll experience his peace. And he's saying, no, no, the God of peace is yours. It's been established once and for all through the blood of Jesus Christ. A sacrifice that, far, that is far superior to any sacrifice that could ever happen in the temple with any unspotted animal. He says, you, you realize you have once and for all a peace that transcends everything. And so his last exhortation, his last plea is to remind them, like, look, you can experience peace a peace that you've never, ever felt because it's not held by you. It's secured by Christ. It's not because of what you do. It's because of what Christ has done. It's not because you're awesome. It's because Christ is awesome. It takes, it, it takes us out of the equation and just makes us a recipient of a peaceful relationship with a God that we have no right to be in peace with because of our own sinfulness. And so again, saying, may he, may he bring peace to you. And not only may he bring peace to you, but he talks about how he's going to do it. He does it, he seals it through Christ. And then he goes on and says, and he says, the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, for, for what it's worth, this is the only time the word shepherd's used in the entire book of, of Hebrews. But Jesus himself calls himself the good shepherd. So I think it's, it's, it's on point here. But a shepherd is, is a profound position. We, we, again, we, we don't spend a lot of time herding sheep around here. At least some of us don't. Most of us don't probably, right? But the shepherd's role was to take care of the entire flock. They weren't supposed to just kind of go, hmm, let's see here. Okay, well, they're good enough, and, and they're good enough. It was to take care of the entire flock. This is where you get the, the, the leave the 99 for the one as the good shepherd. You get all these, these wonderful stories and parables and truths and history in the, in the Gospels about a shepherd. And Jesus is our good shepherd. Think about that for one second. This is a truth that, that if we don't understand, I feel like we miss the value of it. That means that Jesus is your shepherd, and he's my shepherd, and he's Every single child of God's shepherd. That means that he is out defending you. He is praying for you. He's protecting you. He loves you. He cares about you. He knows where you are. He is out to be for you. 
So that means in your circumstances, in your struggles, when you're, when you're experiencing these difficulties, don't forget, just before he said, look, at the, look, the Lord loves because he disciplines us. That's how he shows that we are his. You can't divorce these truths. But ultimately what it means when he says that he's the good shepherd, that through his blood, he has put himself in a position where he is responsible for you. I mean responsible for you. He cares about you. If you have kids in here and, and you like them for the most part, right? Like you... <laughs> You understand the idea of being responsible for someone, right? You recognize that there's this, there's this overwhelming burden. There's like, at times, some debilitating fear that comes from wondering what may or may not happen to your children. Jesus Christ is our shepherd. He doesn't experience the imperfect emotions and feelings that we do as parents, but he is, he is about taking and caring for you. And there are going to be seasons where he's going to pick you up, put you over his shoulders, and he's going to walk you. There are going to be seasons he's going to go a long ways away from everyone else, still somehow holding on to everyone else and not forsaking anyone to come after you. This is a profound truth. And again, to a people that were experiencing unrest and, and, and persecution and struggling because the, the system that they were part of was, was kind of on shaky ground. And there was, there was, this, there was this, this Rome occupying and this, this struggle that was happening and there was kind of unrest as to whether or not Jesus was who he was. It's been, a, it's been a few years, a decade or so, since that we've seen these, maybe even two decades since this, is, this truth has happened. And so they're starting to like, was it really this way? Was it, was it really this way? And he says, may the God of peace through the blood of Jesus Christ as your good shepherd, not just a, not just a shepherd, but as your, your good shepherd, may he do what? And this is what's amazing. We, we found out in this scripture that the way to please God is with faith. Like you, it's impossible to please God without faith is what Hebrews 11 tells us. It's impossible to please God without faith. But we also know that faith is a gift from God. It's given to us through the work of Jesus Christ. And so, so it's like, okay, it's impossible to do these things. Well, he says that whole system, he does it in one fine, really thick sentence right here in verse 21. He says, he says, by the blood of eternal covenant. Eternal, now that's huge, okay? Because everyone knew the other covenants. They knew that covenants were supposed to last forever, but he, put, he throws in eternal covenant just to, just to add kind of a bigger stamp on this, a bigger, bigger kind of stomp into this. Like, this is not a covenant that's going away, people. This is not a covenant that will be changed. This is a covenant that is firm, and it's eternal. And it's held together not by us, but by God himself through Jesus Christ. And he goes on and says, May this God of peace who brought you all these things, he did these things by the blood of Jesus, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will. And so he's saying, look, may God give you the things to do so that you flee sexual immorality like we talked about a few weeks ago with Danny, so that you would, your marriage would look the way that God intended it, so that you can submit to authority like Danny talked about a couple weeks ago, so that you can live a life where you recognize that this is not the end like John was talking about last week. May God do it. I think too often our prayers is, may I do it? Too often our prayer is like, oh God, would you just, would, can I just do this please? And he says, no, may God equip you to do all these things. And he just takes it one step further there. Just in that right there, it's like, oh yeah, let's, let's, let's pray for God to do those things. Let's, 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 let's live with faith and hope that he's going to do those things. But he, there's a comma here and the sentence goes on. And he says, working in us, so presently working in us. Okay, he's, he's doing this. This isn't a, a like lackadaisical, passive way. He's actively working in us to do what? That which is pleasing in his sight. Do, do you see what he does there? 
He says, not only is like, may this God of peace bring about the will in you to do every, like every good work, but he's actively working in us to bring what pleases him, which is what? Faith. He's doing the work. In one sentence, it's almost like he says it this way. He says that not only does God provide every grace to his people that will enable them to do his will, but through Jesus Christ, he also accomplishes it in us, what is pleasing to him. Do you, do you see that? If you're experiencing unrest or lack of peace, you're doing it on your own. If you continue to wrestle with the sinfulness of, of our flesh like we all do, and you continue to lose those battles, you're doing it alone. You're doing it alone. This does not mean you're not going to struggle. This does not mean life is going to be easy. In fact, we can just go back to the whole Lord disciplining us. That was a fun topic, right? But what this is saying is that there's a way that we can live in this life with turmoil and struggle, and strife, and difficulty, and we can have a peace that isn't rested on what we believe. It's rested on who he is and what he's done for us through Jesus Christ and what he promises to continue to do in us. This is what he says. He says, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to work in you. I'm going to work in you. If you are my child, I will work in you. Why is this important? Because there's six huge exhortations, kind of big kind of lobbed out massive bewares in the book of Hebrews that he has. And we're just going to talk about five of them. Sorry, there's five of them. There's, there's the danger of drifting that comes in chapter two. Chapter three and four talk about the danger of not entering into his rest. Chapter, chapter five and six talks about the danger of not going on to maturity. Remember he says, like, look, if you're, not, if you're not being sanctified, then are you really saved, right? These are the questions that were asked in this book. Chapter 10, he talks about the danger of a willful sin. What does it really mean to do life with this willful sinfulness. And then chapter 12, the danger of indifference to the point of denial. So through this book, he has pushed and pushed and pushed on us to say, look, it's about perseverance. Danny Schaefer talked a few weeks ago about the sifting. We're part of a, a kingdom that's not shaken. Our walk with the Lord is one that can be experienced with immense peace. But please don't mistake peace as if there won't be sifting, as if there won't be shaking going on around you. Please don't mistake peace as an, oppor peace as an opportunity to, to run from God anytime it gets difficult. He says, no, not only am I the founder of your faith, but I'm the perfecter, I'm the completer. Not only do I begin the work in you, but I'm gonna finish it. And that's where faith comes in. Do you believe he's gonna finish what he started in you? Until you breathe your last, do you believe that he is actively working in you to do that which pleases him? This is what this book has been about. It's been about perseverance. It's been about walking despite the circumstances around us. It's about having a faith that transcends understanding to our own logic. It's a faith that's been given to us through a Lord that only can be given to us. It's about a security that we can walk with God despite our imperfections, and God is still anchoring you and I to the throne room of God through Jesus Christ. You realize that? He, chapter 10, he, he separates the veil, Right? And he takes us into the most holy place that no one ever was welcome to be except for one time a year, barely, with a rope tied to them in case they had some kind of unknown sin so they could pull them out of there, right? Like, barely. And he says, no, now through Jesus Christ, you know what he's done? He's anchored you and I to the throne room of God. We, are, we cannot separate that. There's nothing we can do that separates that. And so this book pushes on that. 
it drives this wedge into us where we can have this security and confidence in recognizing that, that my life is not dictated by what I do, but my life is the Lord's and it's his will and his purpose. And it's about bringing glory to him and living for his kingdom purposes. So when I work or when I, when I hang out with my family or when I do all of these things, I do it for his glory, recognizing that it's his life to be done with what needs to be done with because he's going to finish what he already started in it. So through this book, he has pushed on us over and over and over again. He's, he's urging us to not lose sight of the fact that you have a firm foundation, a peace that comes from a God that's secure through Jesus Christ's blood. Don't get distracted. Don't run from it. Don't drift. Don't allow yourself to start believing the lies of some other truth. And the author ends with this. It says, working in us that which is pleasing in sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I, I don't know about you, but that last sentence I read, and I kind of just glossed over it. Because it's so common. It's so common to say, okay, well, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We pray in the name of Jesus for your glory alone. And we say this over and over and over again. Do, but do we mean it? Does, does your life mean it? Do you want to see the glory of your life go completely to Jesus Christ? Or do you want the glory for yourself? Do you want your accolades? And the author says, if you want to experience peace, and you want to live with inside of peace, and you want to enjoy what it means to follow the Lord, then persevere, then drive in, then let the faith that comes, then keep walking and keep, keep letting God cut at you. So when you come to Scripture and it says something about sexually immoral, and you're like, man, I know that there's something sexually immoral going on, then you say, God, cut away at me what needs to be cut away because I want to be like you, and I know to be like you, you have to complete what you began in me. So when it talks about authority in our lives and what does it mean for us to submit to authority, God, I, I want to be like you. No longer do we look at the scriptures as ways to try and find our caveat and our exception to it. Instead, we say, God, it's all you, and I want to be with you. So I want to just encourage you as we end today in this book. I would encourage you, if you will, join me over the next two weeks to just read through Hebrews again. Just, just spend the next couple weeks. It's, it's, it's a long book, but even he says it's brief here, so we'll just take his word as it is brief, okay? <laughs> But I would encourage you, spend the next couple weeks just reading through it. But don't let yourself just read through it in a way it's like, oh, yeah, 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 neat. Like, let yourself be enamored by what he says. Let yourself take pause to where it's like, wait, wait, I'm anchored in the throne room of God? So that means that when I sin, I don't leave the throne room of God. I bring my sins into the throne room of God. Like, let yourself be baffled by the truth that is in this living word. And as we end, we actually, we set it up where we have a few songs to, to sing and do this. But I wanted to give you guys time to kind of do the, the, you know, like the, if we put a video of pictures of the, the history of what your life was and you'd have these snapshots, you'd be like, oh, I remember that. And, oh, I remember that. And, ooh, I remember that. And, like, you have that kind of those, those moments. I want to I ask you to let yourself go there with this book. You know, about a month and a half ago, we challenged you guys to not be bitter. Said so that bitterness will defile a community. I, I was blown away by the faithfulness and the response to so many, but I also know so many didn't do it. We challenge you through communion even and taking communion with a pure heart. I want to give you guys a moment. Through these next few songs, maybe you, you need to just get on your face before the God recognize that he opposes the proud, like Danny talked about a couple weeks ago, but gives grace to the humble. And you need to be humbled. 
Maybe you need to stand up and just complete adoration and, and, and excitement about the fact that God has been doing an amazing work in you and that he's not done. Guys, he's not done with you yet. If you're breathing, he's not done. Maybe you need to repent. You need to finally just say, you know what? I have fought and I have fought and I have fought and I've heard these truths that, that Danny shared last week or Danny shared, the other Danny shared the week before. Just say, Danny, you can get like six people around here, right? And, 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 or John last week. And I've, I've heard these truths that have come out of this book. And either way, I keep ignoring it. You know what? The danger of indifference to the point of denial was a concern that this author had for the Hebrew, for the Jewish people in this, in this book. Maybe you've just been too indifferent to the truth. Maybe you've believed the lie that it's not that big a deal. Your anger, your bitterness, your unforgiveness, your sexual sins, your, your marriage falling apart, those can just be dealt with later on. They don't really matter when Jesus is about making every single aspect of your life more and more like him. And so I want to I give you guys this time to just kind of go through the, the little scrapbook let yourself, maybe you just need to look through the scriptures while we're reading. Maybe you need to stand up and sing. Maybe you need to be silent. Maybe you need to pull someone aside and you say, I need prayer. Then do that. Grab someone right next to you. Say, I need prayer. Pray right where you're at. You don't have to leave. Maybe you need more than that. And maybe you need Jesus. And I think too often we believe that we know Jesus because we've walked with, around him. We've walked with people that are with him for a long time, but we've never really given ourselves to him. And we, we believe the lie that we can be those people that can look good enough that somehow God will just say, well, you did a good enough job. That's okay. I'll accept you here. When at the end of the day, really what it comes to is that you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ so that he can not only give you the peace that comes with him, but that he can start the work that he will finish, making you much and much more like him. So would you surrender to Jesus Christ? For those of you that maybe you look at your life, and even when we go back to chapter 2, it's been so long, we talked about this drifting that happens, right? The gospel, gospel, 1 John talks about this idea of people that were, that were walking with them, that were never of them. They looked the part, but never really truly were there. We saw in Hebrews chapter 6 that ultimately, once we are his, nothing can take us out of that. But there are a lot of people that think they're his that are going to fall away. And so maybe for you today, it's, it's finally a true submission to Jesus Christ a giving of yourself over. Like, I am done trying this on my own. I've tried every single thing else. I've done everything I can, and nothing's working, or things potentially think they work for a little bit, and I just know, I just know that I'm not there. Would you allow him to wash over you like the snow did today? Take a, a crimson-stained heart and bring it about pure snow. Van's gonna come up, and we're gonna sing, and I would just invite you, encourage you to not go through the motions, to not... Just ignore this book. But let, let these last words, this urge, this, this firm urging come to you. you know, he says here, he, he says, a scholar said it this way, the author wants to leave us with no mistake and no uncertainty that our covenant relationship with God is eternal. So he reminds us that the very essence of the new covenant and what makes it new is that God keeps his side of the covenant and God keeps our side as well. He not only equips you with resources for doing his will, he works in you what is pleasing in his sight, namely persevering faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews eleven six. He causes us freely and joyfully to use the resources he gives. May we be a people that truly, truly joyfully live for his purposes. God, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. 
It is a joy. It is, it is such a joy to know your word. God, it is so profound that you've held it together for us for so long. May we not be a people that look at your word as just ideas, but would we see them as living and active and truth. Father, would you please, please give us a desire. Help us to, to be hungry and thirsty for you. Lord, for the areas of our lives that maybe are, are not surrendered to you, God, would you just rip them from our hands? We're done holding on to them. Leave us with nothing else to hold on to. And God, for those that are here that have been drifting but are your children, God, would you discipline? Would you bring about discipline? Because we know that when you discipline, that tells us that we're your children and that you love us. And God, for those that are here today that, that like the idea of you, that, that think they're with you, but they've never really fully submitted themselves to him, God, would they drop on their knees before you saying, I cannot do it, please, Lord. And would they acknowledge you as Lord? Would they, would they take on the peace that can be had through the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he has done for us through the cross? And Father, as we sit in this time, would you be glorified in this time? And not in a way that we just say, oh, would you be glorified? But would we actively pursue ways to glorify you in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, so much so that at the end of the day, anyone that looks at us, all they see is Jesus. And they forget us very quickly. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.